Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. What I am sharing here is not something to believe in. This is the very meaning for which all things consist and exist. I am sharing with you about an ultimate source of reality that will only satisfy the inner core of your being. And that source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. So for those of you that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book with very original writing which you can read writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me that will impact your lives in a powerful way. And there's a lot of print that's highlighted in red, and those are actually links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archaeology that highly confirm and substantiate the reality of what I am sharing here and expose how you've been lied to with irrefutable facts that you will see before your very eyes. So check that out if you're new. And so there's also a video series there as well as a video, the first part. Um, Yeah, it's titled against it exposes the deception of the theory of evolution. The first part though really does answer this question, who the one true God could only possibly be. So you can look at those videos there. There's a whole series. There are five videos. And the first video, there's about three different versions of it because it is a powerful message. I'll just sum up briefly here for those that are new who the one true God could only possibly be. And that is an ultimate perfection of love. And I'm talking about a love that's not just the filial love, which is what it is in the Greek language in the Bible, or the eros love, which is sexual. No, this is a love that is utterly pure in motivation, that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love will not condone anything that is corrupt, that is contrary to love. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the very destroyer of corruption. And only such a love could be entrusted with ultimate, unlimited, unending power, authority in life. Without using that in a corrupt way or being corrupted by thus indicative of being the very source. That's the first aspect of this love, who is the one true God. This love is, as it were, a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love, this quality that always freely chooses the highest lasting good. It is represented in the negative symbol in nature and math and electricity, which is representing an indestructible foundation. In fact, the word truth basically means that which is real or reality. And the word reality, if you look it up in various dictionaries, means that which is immovable, unshakable, indestructible. Only this quality could be that. There is no other quality that could be. It's represented in an indestructible foundation in the negative symbol, and in cutting off all corruption. And from that springs forth creation that can be without corruption. Of course, without going into this too much, God did not create us to be machines. Created us with the capacity to love. So we have our own free will. In other words, we're the source of our own action. Therefore, we're self-responsible for the choices that we create. And of course, with that is the potential to go against this ultimate source of love. So you can't blame God for creating the devil. No, these are beings 
that are self-originating, self-responsible, that have the capacity to love God. But God's love is so great that there was a quality in his being and always has been in the infinite past beyond this mere creation dimension, beyond the creation realm, a quality in the infinite past that was always so great that he could become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for such created beings as us who are created in this physical dimension and thus via the physical dimension indirectly rebel against God through the physical dimensions instead of directly like the angels did against the direct stream of God's blessing and his spirit and his love Yes, when you create beings with free will, there's the potential for those beings to make choices that are hell contagious, that are destructive, that are anti-life, that result in a destiny and a conformity to a state of being that's worse than nothingness because it puts you in a state of everlasting torment and separation from God, which is worse than being nothing. But God's love is so great that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, so that you could repent and choose to receive forgiveness, be cleansed of your sin through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for you, the blood of God that was shed for you on the cross. I don't have time to share so much for those that are new right here. But there, there's no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than this love. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited power, life, and authority without being corrupted thereby or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative, as I said, that he, only this quality, could be the one true God. And yes... God is in three personages because he must rule to be almighty God in the three ultimate aspects of existence and conscious intelligence in personality, in other words. And that is beyond creation as God the Father, in creation as God the Son, and filling all creation and omnipresence as God the Holy Spirit. And if he wasn't in those three personages to rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence, he would not be almighty. So I just do share those things briefly for those that are new. Now this message is spoken with very little preparation. The word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so I will seek to allow God to speak through me. What I do is I cast lots with two independent applications on the internet to get the possibility of any two chapters that those two chapters by God's power might be chosen through the foreknowledge of God and his providence to bear witness with each other as to the theme, as to the message. And so I facilitate to speak as the oracles of God by doing this. It's done with great reverence and it only works if you're walking in a close and a loving right relationship with God. And if you're not, it would be the sin of divination. <clears throat> Now, there's another scripture that says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, to speak to, in such a way that God speaks through us. We must be those that worship God in great reverence and awe and love for God, so that we are filled with His spirit in an overflow that results in creative utterances beyond ourselves. So I will seek to speak out of a heart set and mindset of worship that God may say what he is saying to the churches in this particular hour, which today is April, or yes, April the 11th of 2023 on Tuesday. Big introduction.
Now, before we go into choosing these two chapters, which I've only spent a half an hour meditating on, earlier today I had supper and so on, and now it's late and it's nine past nine in the evening. But before I go into sharing those two chapters, <clears throat> I also pick a worship song by the casting of law. This time I have 144 worship songs on my website at loverealize.com, so I picked it out of those 144. So this song, though it's on YouTube, is on my website at both ultimatemeaning.com and loverealize.com. You will see there is a link to worship songs that are very exceptional and good worship songs. And so we will go with that worship song today, first of all. I'm going to bring up that worship song here. We will begin to worship in the beauty of holiness.
wonderful. How wonderful. Wow. <laughs> I, I sometimes just want to break out in unknown tongues because like that old song says, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. You just are so filled with awe and glory when you are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. I want to share with you today what I received by the casting of Lot before God. Now, I did have a very powerful time today in those two chapters that I received today, but also as well yesterday, so that I feel like I should have spoken yesterday, and yet right now with income tax and many things, other things I have to do, <clears throat> You know, if I get two messages or three a week, that's doing really well. And so I hope to get about three messages this week as well in by video, as well as audio podcast. And so we will now just look, first of all, a bit. I want to touch on Monday, first of all, as to what I received on Monday. This is what I received today, though, on Tuesday. Isaiah 2 and Leviticus 9. Now, I only needed those two chapters but I was so blessed by the strong confirmation between those two chapters and what God was saying that I wanted even more. And so sure enough, when I cast lots the third time, it even all the more, all of these three chapters lined up with a very powerful message and theme today. And I sure want to get into that, but I believe it's important that I touch on what I received yesterday because I was in tears yesterday as well as today because I was so touched by the Spirit of God as I was reading these passages of Scripture. I'm talking about tears of joy. Tears of joy unspeakable. I don't know, some people cry when they get joyful. Not that I don't have joy where I... There's different kinds of joy. And so I'm talking about the kind of joy that was melting my heart and breaking my heart with the love of God so that the love of God was shed abroad in my hearts and there was such a softness that it melted me to tears because I sensed the awe of whose presence I was in. Now I want to share with you briefly what it was yesterday I received. Yesterday there was a strong emphasis in these two chapters on God's miraculous delivering power. And it makes sense that the message I received today would follow after what I received yesterday, as you will begin to discover. Now, of course, in Isaiah 43, I will give you an example of some of the verses to just touch on this. Beginning in verse 1, it says, But now thus saith the Lord, which is Yahweh in the original, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Of course, Jacob was means the word deceiver, and he was broken into becoming Israel, who shall be a prince of God. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. Fear not. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shalt the flame kindle upon thee. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, Daniel, the book of Daniel. Being thrown into the fire, and God preserved them. And he will continue to do such powerful works with those that do know their God. For those that come into an intimate, knowing relationship with God, as it says in Daniel, they will in the last days, which is the days we are in now, know their God and do exploits such as are the examples shown here in the word of God. Thou shalt not be burned. And I went on and read that. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, 
I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sebia for thee, since thou was precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. And it emphasizes, fear not, because the enemy uses fear. You see, these miracles happen when we are in dire circumstances where the enemy seems to be about to obliterate our natural life in this world, maybe to torture us on to death if it need be. Now, there's been many martyrs throughout history. You only have to consider Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is way more than what's in the Bible. It's a very thick book, unless you get an abridged edition. There are many that have gone before us and paid the ultimate price. And they faced martyrdom and torture and death. Listen, some of them, the day before they were to be burned at the stake, put their finger in the candle. I remember one reading him. He says, how am I going to possibly face tomorrow when I can't even put my finger in this candle? But when the time came, the grace of God was there and they gave their lives and were burned at the stake. And they were, many of them, had their hands in the air praising God whilst they're totally in flames. They had a rapturous transition into that ultimate real permanent realm, which is far superior to this very inferior physical realm. And so is their spiritual body. And I've written a book on life after death titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can get on the internet on that. But I don't want to get sidetracked with things here now. Then I received. And so, you know, there's different things in here. I'm just touching on it. The Lord emphasizes, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Now, the other chapter I received yesterday was a chapter, 2 Kings chapter 4, with these incredible miracles that God allowed Elijah to do. And I began to realize, when we're walking close with God, we can actually, if we were put in the same circumstances as Elijah found himself in, if we know and have that confidence of in, in our relationship with God, we would find, if we're living a holy walk, and not presumptuous like some people that think you can live any old way and be light and trivial before God, and that God will use you. There's a lot of deception and counterfeit gifts of the Spirit, counterfeit miracles, where... There is not a life that is godly, that is holy. And yet there is an emphasis on signs and wonders and miracles. When there's that, there is going to be the counterfeit. And we need to be on guard against those that have teachings that draw us away from the genuine fear of God that brings us into a place of deep intimacy with God. I'm not talking about a religious fear of God that is contrary to the genuine fear of God, such as Cain had that caused him to end up bringing an offering before God that was not acceptable because his perception out of a self-righteous fear of God was of someone that demanded sacrifice in a because he was all-powerful and that was the issue that was the focus. It was not the, the holiness of God, that is the integrity of God's love, which I've already described, was good. And of on our need in the light of his holiness to be brought to a place of humility and recognition of our need to repent, of our sinfulness, our need to really cry out to God, like that publican that Christ described, who would not so much as lift his face to heaven and smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man went justified, Christ said to his house, whereas the Pharisee that was saying, I thank God I fast three days a week, I do all this sacrifice, and I do all these things, and I'm not like that person over there. 
filled with self-conceit and pride in his own righteousness because there was no fear of God in him. I want to share with you, now these miracles, of course, that Elijah did, bless me, there was many miracles in chapter 4. But I want to get to the message of today and how that relates. Elijah, for example, in verse 42, and there came a man from Belshalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and full of ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, give unto the people that they may eat. And the servitor said, what should I set this before an hundred men? And he said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith Yahweh, they shall eat and shall have, leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof, according to the word of the Lord. That's just one of the many miracles. There's the woman whose husband died, and she was left in debt, and they were coming for her two sons to take them as bondmen. And she cried out to the man of God. And he, she said, all I've got is one bottle of oil. What can I do? What could Elijah do? He, he saw that little bit of potential that was there. That potential. And he said, you, you just get as many bottles as you can. And start pouring into them. He knew such a relationship with God that it was almost like common to him in the sense that he just saw the situation, saw, well, God, I know it's impossible, but it's not. When I have a relationship with you, you are powerful and you are able to do these things. And the woman that did many of these things, there was a woman here that didn't have a son, and, and because she was so good to give him a place of lodging, and she perceived that he was a holy man of God. See, a holy, a man that lived a pure life before God. And so, she was too old. Her husband was too old with her to have children. And yet, Elijah tells her they're going to have a child. And sure enough, and that's basically what's in that chapter. But I don't want to end up missing what's really important in what I received today. And so we want to go to what I received today, which is Isaiah 2 and Leviticus 9 initially. And I also wanted even more insight because I got done with what I believe God was giving me before the half hour. And so God did give me more insight. And so the common theme in these three chapters is humility out of the jet white fear of god is an essential an absolute essential it is for you to come in to that kind of oneness that releases the power and the glory of god to do the signs and the wonders and miracles of deliverance that we will find more and more in these last days we find ourselves in circumstances that are impossible. And that is not the time to panic. It's the word of God emphasized in Isaiah 42 there. Fear not. Fear not. Over and over again. That is the emphasis. Did Elijah fear when he saw the helplessness of this woman and knew that in himself he couldn't help her? No, he did not fear. He had confidence in his God. They that do know their God shall do exploits. And so I want to begin reading in Isaiah here. This is about the last days. And in the last days, what God is calling the body of Christ to wake to, to awaken to, it is very lacking, especially in materialistic societies such as I'm in in Canada here, such as in the United States, where so many people are all desensitized and insular 
even though they're believers, they become drunken by materialism, by the pleasures of this life. They have not sought God in such a way that they found their ultimate pleasure far greater and far more fulfilling than in these very titillating surface things that the enemy often can use as bait to desensitize people and draw them away into a hardness of heart that causes division in families and divorces. God is calling his people in these last days to return to the genuine fear of God that births great humility, that drives people to a place of great honesty and transparency before God, that births great honesty, that drives people to a place of great humility and reverence before God. And so here we read, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow unto it, and many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, or of Yahweh, to the house of the God, which most likely in the original is the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And I could go on reading. This whole chapter is so good. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus said he is the I am that I am. He is Yahweh. He talked with Abraham in Genesis 18 and ate food with him with the two other angels that then went forward to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He appeared to Jacob and wrestled with Jacob at night. We recently had that message. And here we're reading, O house of Jacob, come ye walk in the light of Yahweh. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people. And then it changes. You see, that was the future. And then this, the Isaiah the prophet is now addressing the immediate time of his people when they are in a state of idolatry. They are in a state where many Christians are today where they have not entered in to the genuine fear of God that God is desiring for these last days. I want to point out again that those that study the brain and so on say that one half of the brain was created to comprehend with awe. It was created to comprehend God, obviously, and be in awe of him. And that has been a thing that has been lost. And as we continue to read this passage, you will see. Now, the first part of this was about the mountain of the house of the Lord. It is talking about the last days in the millennial reign of Christ. And the word mountain often represents the government, so it could be put this way, that the government of Yahweh's house shall be established in the top of all governments or in the top of all administrations that will be under him and shall be exalted above the hills, which can represent smaller nations and countries. And all nations shall flow onto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the place of God's height of governance and glory where his throne is in Jerusalem to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways. 
and the secret of the Lord is with those that fear him, and to them will he show his covenant and his ways. The ways of the Lord are the ways of great intimacy out of the genuine fear of God. This is why in Isaiah 33, when it's talking about the Messiah there, it says that his treasure is the fear of God. I am talking about this reception of the being of God's love that is so pure in all-consuming love. It is a consuming fire of judgment against all that is unholy, all that is contrary to love. It brings wholeness into us. Nothing will bring wholeness like living a life that is holy, that comes out of being captured by who God is in the beauty of his holiness, the beauty that issues out of the purity and integrity of his love to not tolerate sin, and that is transcendent in the greatness of his mercy to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin when we come to him, and we can only come to him with a heart that is either pure because we've repented or is repentant to receive cleansing. Other words, we're not really coming to him. So when it says he, that he will not cast anyone out that comes to him, that's the understanding. I want to go on and I want to read here. Now back to where we were. Coming into the present of what the Spirit of God was saying to Israel at the immediate time. <clears throat> and it says this. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers. It almost sounds like child trafficking, doesn't it? Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, which could be compared to all the cars that we have today. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Oh, chariots would be obviously more comparable to cars. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. Do people worship the work of their own hands in North America? They sure do. Many of them are all caught up with all kinds of materialistic things. Some people are caught up with cars. I'm not saying it's wrong to love cars and to maybe maybe you've been created that way, so you like that. The issue is, are you focused with your whole life in those things? Are they what you live for? Are the temporal things of this world, the things that are the main focus of your life, are they the thing that is the treasure of your life? They worship the work of their own hands. Look at all this big AI technology that's coming out and man is boasting and saying, look, if we got these computers, oh, they might take us over and rule the world. Aren't we something? Oh, you're nothing. This, is, this physical dimension is so inferior compared to the fourth, fifth dimensions all the way up to the tenth dimension as is very clear by the mathematical analysis of particle physics. I've written a book, as I've told you, on the afterlife. I wish I could talk about it. There's no time for everything. We go on and we read here. That which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth down. They are all bowing down. Some of them, their idols, are the gods of amusement. It might be boxing or wrestling. And they spend all their focus and time on that. Or it might be sports. And instead of having a life of prayer, they spend more time in those things. And those things become a focus and hook them so that the, their emotions and everything are addicted and drawn into these things. Others, it's sexual pleasure, it's immorality, all of the abominations that control people by other powers and manipulate their lives to drive them in a place where their lives are left empty and desolate of the Spirit of God. So it says of Israel that they've hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Your life is left empty because you were only created to find wholeness and fulfillment in 
the indwelling presence of God in the inner core of your being. That is why Christ said, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water. We go on and we read here. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty. This is coming, brothers and sisters. It has not yet come. When he returns, it will happen. And upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, which represents peoples that are proud, maybe armies that are proud, and upon all the work, the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, the governments that think they're something, the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and there will be a literal flattening of the mountains and of the hills when this great earthquake takes place as the Lord <clears throat> returns and the Mount of Olives splits in half as described in Zechariah 12 or 13. And upon, all, and upon every high tower, all of these tall towers around the world, the works of man that people bow down to, they make their whole life's focus on these things because they want to be looked up to by people instead of knowing the blessing of a relationship with God. Upon every high tower and upon every fenced wall and upon all the ships of Tarshish and upon all pleasant pictures. Can you imagine? People think, oh, all these art galleries and everything. Oh, so great. And they don't realize often the pride that is in their lives because it's all about them. It's all about their achievements and they have failed to have anything to do with God or even to seeking God. But the time is going to come when all is going to be brought down when the Messiah returns to reign upon the earth. And the haughtiness of man shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day, and the idols he shall utterly abolish. Yes, and there's many idols. There's even shows, I think, that have the name idol in them. I forgot the name of that show. Never watched it. There's people that people like to put their identity in. All of this is idolatrous. All of this self-glory of man. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. And that happens when the Messiah returns. And in my book, I have the account with the links to the YouTube video of a Jewish lad that died when he was 15 and saw all of this, including the Mount of Olives, split in half. And he describes what he saw, how the armies of Israel fought off all of these nations for two days and then were taken into captivity, with many of them being tortured and so on. But in Jerusalem, the presence of God began to come down. The Lord returned with his saints. And I won't go into it, but when that happened, there was an earthquake that happened around the world, as is described in many scriptures in the book of Revelation, in the book of Isaiah, and other chapters about this massive earthquake that will take place when the Lord returns. But wherever believers are gathered together, there will not be that destruction. They will be preserved. And also in Isaiah 33, I believe it is, it describes the air being filled with the glory of God so that those that are wicked, when they breathe the air, are literally burned alive and, chained and turned into ashes as the glory of God fills the whole atmosphere of the earth. Now, of course, the armies of the Antichrist are destroyed. And of all those in the world that came against the Lord as he returns. So we see here all of these things. And it's described in Revelations chapter 1-2 that the whole world will see the Lord when he returns. And every eye will see him. 
and they will call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, and to say, Hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the day of his judgment is come, and who shall be able to stand? Those that have come into a loving relationship with God, that have not rejected his love, that was outpoured unto death for them, who tasted death and swallowed it and conquered it by living a righteous life all the way to the cross. His blood outpoured the blood of God so that you could be cleansed and made white as snow. I will go on here. They will... So they're hiding in the rocks for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. When he ariseth to shake terribly the earth, cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted? Brothers and sisters, do you know the genuine fear of God? It says in the word of God that we are to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and that comes out of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. For God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Says we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. And what do we have in Leviticus that is in relation to this topic? Quite an amazing account. Towards the end of Leviticus, we read an errant they had been Moses was told by the Lord that he wanted to appear before the whole congregation of Israel in his glory. And so he's told to offer a burnt offering, a peace offering. And uh, I forget what the other offering was. Various, you know, ram, ox, whatever, lamb. And then towards the end, after they've done these offerings, whole congregation is standing before Moses. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before Yahweh and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. They were in the genuine fear of God, and they saw the glory of God appear before them and devour the sacrifice. But then what do we read in the very next verse, which is the next chapter? And Nahab, and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. How presumptuous. God just came in the awe of his glory and you assume to bring strange fire before him that he didn't command you to do? So the Lord commanded them not to do it. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now if you go on and read in this passage, they were not allowed to mourn over this. If they did, they would die. They're in the awesome presence of God. And they weren't even allowed to leave the tabernacle or they would die because the glory of God was there and it is very awesome. The presence of God is very precious. You don't treat it lightly. When you really love someone, you don't treat them in a common way. And yet I have seen leadership time and time again in churches get up and make jokes about the scripture, and even talk 
about a hockey game or a football game in the midst of the holy assembly of God? How dare you stumble the sheep that are so easily hooked into these things that are an abomination in the sight of God because they are highly esteemed among men. And the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God as we just read in Isaiah. How when he returns, he will humble the haughtiness of men. Oh, you say that was for the Old Testament. No, you'll see that he is the same yesterday, today and forever, as it says in the word of God. And you will see the same things happening in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira were smitten dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. God is calling us as his people not to have a negative fear that is contrary to the genuine fear of God that Cain had, as I mentioned, but an absolute awe and love for God that causes us to be brought into a place of deep intimacy with him. Because it brings us, yes, there's a place for rejoicing before God and for knowing that we're his sons and knowing that we are accepted of him. This is not contrary to knowing our sonship. Those that really know their sonship and know that who they are in God are those that really know that their God is a God of such incredible love. You're less than nothing apart from him, but in him you're his son. You're everything in him because you know that apart from him you are nothing and less than nothing if that was the case that you had rebelled against him, but you've received him. You've become accepted in the beloved, so you're filled with thankfulness, but it's not a thankfulness that's light and trivial if you really know you've been forgiven, if you really know that God, how great God's love is. You know he loves you and you have confidence to come boldly to the throne of grace, but that does not negate the awe of God. It does not negate the place of humility that drives us to the place of intimacy and oneness with God. Peter said of the Gentiles that received the Holy Spirit and he saw them speak with tongues, that he knew then that God accepted all that genuinely feared God, because those that genuinely fear God obviously come to a place of genuine rebirth because they're perceiving rightly the holiness of God, the integrity of his love. And when you reciprocative of that, you are driven to the place of acknowledging your need of his mercy and receiving his mercy. And I could go on, and I don't want to go on in too much detail about these things. I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And we see that this will happen in the last days in the millennial reign of Christ, and you can also see this being described of congregations meeting with God, I believe again, in Isaiah 33, and I might just quickly skip over there before going to this last scripture. Whoops, that's a wrong, whoa. Don't want that up there. It's too bad that came up there. But anyhow, um, I'm just going to go to um, another portion here of scripture. And I believe it is Isaiah 33 where it may also describe, I don't know if it's here, that it describes the congregations. But here we see this. This is when the Lord returns. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burning? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions and shaketh his hands from the holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. How many of us watch evil on television? God is calling us not to look and to seek those things that are evil. 
It goes on to give wonderful promises here. Hallelujah. I'm just skimming it, of course. There's many things in this passage that are just amazing. And I say, I believe this is, whoops, 33. If I, Well, I got onto 32 somehow. There it is. And, um, you know, I could go on to point various things out here. This is where it talks about the Lord in the last days again saying, Now will I rise, saith the Lord, now will I exalt, be exalted, now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff, ye shall bring forth stubble, your breath as fire shall devour you. I talked about that already. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. The sinners in Zion are afraid, and I mentioned that. And it also talks about the congregations in another portion of scripture where the glory cloud of the Lord is covering the congregations in the last days. But I want to touch on 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 that I also received because it's on the same topic. And this was all by the casting of law today. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am Base among you. You see? He's someone that walks in great humility. But being absent, I'm bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. And the stronghold that God is wanting to pull down in these last days is in the next verse. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against knowing God, knowing Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, experientially knowing and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, brothers and sisters, let us not deceive ourselves to living an unholy life and losing out on a great, intimate, abundant life that is far more fulfilling than the shallow things the enemy wants to offer you to titillate your physical senses and your physical amusements and pleasures and take you from someone that has the heartbeat of God's love. You don't want to become insular as a believer. Insular in your own world because you're caught up with the things of this world that have hardened your heart to be soft to the mighty reins of the Spirit of God that he wants to pour into your life, the presence of God, the river of life. And so we see examples such as in Acts 5, 1-4, of Ananias and Sapphira, and how they were judged by God. So brothers and sisters, let us have a balanced understanding where the Word of God is rightly divided, where we are not those that condone those that teach contrary to the fear of God and to us coming into a deep, intimate relationship with him. When I first read these scriptures, the Spirit of God came on me, and I was in tears. And I'm praying for more and more of that softness, of that love, of that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Brothers and sisters, this is a message to encourage you that he has your best interests in mind that he wants you to come up higher, higher, higher into this place where you can walk like Elijah walked, where you can walk in great consciousness of God because you are walking in the fear of God that brings great humility that therein bursts the grace of God in abundance in your life. 
So thank you for listening to this message and may God bless you all. And I want to share with you that God is answering prayer in a wonderful way in my life right now. There was a lady that was in my life that I still care for a lot and love, but I, I'm glad she obviously has found someone else because she was problem for about 10 years in my life and I've always been concerned that there was no one to help her. It looks like she's found someone that loves her and wants to help her and that is allowing me to be released, to be focused on the ministry that God has called me to do. So pray that God will open the right doors to preach his word, to do evangelism, to see this new order come into the body of Christ where churches will come under the fullness of the headship of Christ and fulfill John 17 in these last days around the world in preparation for his kind of coming. This is what is going to conquer your nation. So don't forget, I have a book titled God Headship in Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon also. And that book has in it everything that you can, many suggestions and things that you can do so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly, so that you conquer your community and your nation and if churches across North America do this and they come together and fast and pray for three days and really repent and seek God, then in all the major towns and cities across your nation and never go back to being the church the way they were. Become his house of prayer and his house of holiness. So God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message.